This is Dan Fagella. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This is Thursday, so we're talking about our Making the Business Case episode. Every Tuesday, we cover use cases. Thursdays, we talk about AI adoption, AI ROI, and the buying and selling of AI. We're speaking today about who in healthcare is actually adopting AI. There's a lot of AI startups, but not all healthcare organizations have the technical ability or the free resources or the culture to be able to actually adopt AI. The insights that you're going to learn today might be good proxies for learning what other kinds of businesses might have factors in common that make them more or less likely to be AI adopters. We speak this week with Peter Durlach, who is the Senior Vice President of Healthcare Strategy at Nuance Communications. Nuance, one of the earliest multi-billion dollar AI-first companies. They were sort of one of the first players in natural language processing. They've been servicing the healthcare space with AI products for well over a decade. And Peter speaks to us about what the healthcare innovators have in common. Companies that actually are moving forward with AI deployments, they're buying from vendors, maybe they're even integrating some solutions and working on things in-house. What do they have in common? What kinds of healthcare organizations are actually buyers and adopters? From team dynamics to culture to size of the business, there's a lot going on here and Peter kind of dives deep into his experience. And again, Nuance having done this for over a decade, excellent point of view and hopefully one that's going to be valuable for you as the listener. If you're tuned in now and you're just focused on applying and adopting artificial intelligence, particularly if you have a non-technical background, you don't write Python, you're not building support vector machines on the weekends, you're a non-technical business and strategy person like me and like most of our listeners, then you should check out our Beginning with AI guide. This is a guide for non-technical professionals to understand the realistic considerations for adopting AI, what should you know ahead of time, and what are some of the key terms and trends that you should bear in mind as you start to move forward with an AI strategy, whether that's for a client if you're a consultant, or whether that's within your own business if you operate within an enterprise and you're responsible for AI projects. You can find that guide at emerj dot com slash beg one that's beg like beginning and then the number one so emerj.com slash beg one and download that free pdf brief which should hopefully give you some more context on a little bit of the themes we're going to be talking about today when it comes to adoption without further ado this is peter with nuance here on the ai and business podcast so peter i wanted to talk with you about sort of the adoption of AI in healthcare. I think when people look out across the healthcare landscape, there's you know dictation, there's computer vision for uh, radiology, there, there's so many different kinds of applications. And people are wondering which healthcare facilities, what kinds of hospitals are really going to be the adopters here? Is it just the big guys with money or is it more complicated than that? When you look out and you say, who is actually picking up on this stuff? What do you see? Yeah, it's a great question. Again, you know, AI is a is a very large bucket, as you it know, is, Dan. It is, yeah. So it's hard it, it's hard to answer that as a generic thing. So let me tell you how I see things. It's very much like the technology adoption curve, as you think about it. it's it's based on use cases. So I'll give you a couple of quick examples. So and, and one we we've, we've talked about previously, the, the the most dominant use of AI in healthcare at scale today is speech recognition yep. for dictation and transcription. Well, obviously, you know, we're a leader in that yep, product you, in that area with, you guys. with some products on Dragon and PowerShip. About 60% of all clinicians and 80% of all radiologists use that today for their daily work. It's dial tone in the industry, super adopted. It doesn't matter if you're the largest IDN to the smallest community hospital. So that's way along the adoption okay. curve. The next, super the next, and the next set of stuff that's coming along is in a couple areas. 
One is this machine vision piece you mentioned in radiology and the imaging yep. is really starting to get traction. So this is AI looking at the images that you take with a MRI machine, CT scanner, and it identifying issues that on your lungs, in your heart, in your brain. That's still early, but the early indicators of the performance of that is very high. Um, we're involved in that space as many others. So that's, that's much earlier on the adoption curve, but starting to get some real traction because the performance metrics have started. It's hard to go a week without yeah, seeing a new study. Exactly. About this. It's early. It's on the left-hand side of the adoption curve, but showing really good early indications of performance and value creation. So that, and then again, that spreads across the landscape. I would say like most technologies, those are going to be adopted earlier by the larger provider organizations that have the dollars to adopt early technologies. Because you have the classic curve where the more innovative guys with more money are going to adopt stuff earlier in the curve. In speech, we're already way to the right. Yeah. So that's kind of penetrated yep, yep, down yep. market. The next application area that, that is a little more mature than the imaging we just talked about in another podcast is using AI to drive revenue capture in workflow. That's not as mature as this core speech products, but there are hundreds of, de of deployed successful use cases around that. So using that to improve documentation integrity and capture that inside the electronic health record, those are being adopted across the spectrum of providers, started in the large institutions, but have, have now started to move. We have a lot of clients that are three or 400 beds. These are small hospitals that are using yep. them, not just the largest providers in the country. Got it. And then the one to the farthest immaturity, but one with a super lot of hype is how to predict, you know, what's wrong with the patient and what to do with them. That's kind of the holy grail. Okay. That's called, you know, predictive stuff. You see a lot from Google and others in this space. That's very early. That's saying, I've looked at the patient data. I've compared it to lots of other examples. And this person looks like they're going to progress on this disease path, A, or I think they have this disease versus that from diagnostics. That's got a huge potential, but still very early. The data on how effective that is is still evolving. And secondly, there's this issue of trust. A, does the physician trust what the system is telling them, which is very different than in some of the other examples where there's trust, but they have more confidence because they've seen them work more. And two is, would the patient trust that what a computer is saying, even if the, if the human physician has reviewed it, do they trust that? So that's super early, I think has a massive potential. And I have personally very high hopes for that, but we're early on that journey yeah, yeah, yeah. of AI affecting the diagnostic decision about what's wrong with you as a person and what you should be treated with, which is very different than listening to a doctor, turning it into text or helping the revenue cycle or saying, I think I see some cancer on this image that a radiologist is then going to review before they do anything versus saying, hey, you've got chronic heart disease. You should go do that. That's a big leap. Yeah. Yeah. Giant. Yep. Giant, the the giant. black box problem is obviously bigger mm -hmm. in healthcare than anywhere, right? I mean, you know, take this cancer drug, says the AI. There, there's a lot of questions that are going to come with that kind of a comment. So you brought up a couple of really important points. And just for the folks who are tuned into this episode who, who haven't heard our, our other episode with Peter, the, the revenue capture is really around coding the dictations, making sure we're we're attributing sort of the right treatment to the right patient with the right kind of condition so that we actually get paid by the insurance companies or, or the, the payers for this uh, particular service we've rendered. Okay, so a couple things we'll dive into. 
Clearly, again, dictation, yeah, really strong adoption. It feels like it's basically indistinguishable almost from software at this point. It's pretty close, right? I mean, where it's to the point where you could be a relatively small shop somewhere and uh, you talk into the mic and you know it fills in the fields you need to and and we're not really at a an R&D level there it's it's sort of been solved what what is it going to take to get there with these radiology things to me it feels like maybe part of it is advancing in the AI but the AI's doing really well for some of you know detecting tumors and some of these other vision problems it feels like it has to have APIs and integrate into the workflows. We have to have really reliable yeah. ways for it to just layer on top of existing systems so it adds value. Do you see that as the linchpin for the vision diagnostic stuff or do yeah. you see other things as the linchpin? Yeah, no, it's a phenomenal question. And and um, I know we're not supposed to talk too much about ourselves on these things, but yeah, we absolutely see that as the key thing. We, It's a thing we're focusing on in nuance. Actually, we're not making the AI algorithms on the imaging side with parties. But we own 80% of the market for workflow for radiologists, Nuance does. So we actually own that side of the equation. So we've actually built a two-sided network called the AI Marketplace. So anybody who's building these AI algorithms for looking at the chest or the brain or the head, yep. they publish up to our, our marketplace. And then any of these users on the subscriber side can single click subscribe and it just integrates to the workflow. So you're 100% right because no one wants to go outside the workflow. So when they use our system connected with whatever visualization system that the results of the AI, the thing that says here on the left lung, I found a suspicious mass for the radiologist, their workflow doesn't change. They see a workless yeah, exactly. a patient. Yep. They click on that patient up comes the image annotated by the AI up comes the report in our product called PowerScribe, And the, the results of the AI are in the image and in the report automatically. And all the radiologist has to do is yep, say, yeah, no, I want to change something or I accept it. They don't go anywhere outside the workflow. So you're 100% right, Dan. So that's why I said when I gave the high-level overview, I think the imaging piece is going to be one of the next breakthrough areas because the core algorithms are getting really good. Yeah. And just because of our market share on the radiology side, we've solved the workflow problem. We don't have to get anybody else to well, do it to yeah, solve yeah, that. Yeah, I will say, so uh, two things. Solved entirely is is feels brash to me, but clearly you have the access. So one thing I think you guys can safely say is people use your darn system to get the job done. Now, you know, is it is it like flick a switch and now all of a sudden all the tumors are highlighted? Like, there's probably a bunch of work that has to happen there, but I think what you guys have is kind of a gatekeeper role, a network role, is you're already the tool set they're using to do their work. And and arguably, I would say that is harder to get to than building an algorithm to detect a darn tumor. It's harder to right. get to the darn workflow. Right. And I'm not I'm not going to come across and say there's no work to do because there's always work to do. For but sure, my answer sure. is your last point is correct. Yeah. We already control the workflow. So we don't have to convince anybody else. To do that. So, but what we actually have clients running this today, Dan. I mean, I, this is not make believe. This is their clients today. You can subscribe to any of these third party algorithms, and the results just show up in the existing workflow. Now, the, the hard part is the workflow because you're right, For the sure. algorithms are coming. There's hundreds, like new every week, there's another hundred of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But without them being in the workflow, no one's going to use them. Yep. And so you're 100% right about that. Yeah. And, and I, there's going to be players like yourselves who, who, 
already have lock-in for certain healthcare workflows who might become the gateways for these algorithms to make it in as opposed to a startup trying to get people to switch the script. Last question, right as we wrap up, we can keep this brief, but I, I really do want to clarify this. This is around adoption. That's what we're talking about. Where You just brought up a really good point around some of these adoption hurdles. Final thing, is it when we talk about the early adopters, the people that are catching on that first part of the wave, is it just the darn size and revenue or are there some other commonalities? Hey, Dan, the folks who have, you know, who are more associated with universities are more likely to be on that no. side. Hey, Dan, the folks in the big tech cities are more likely to be like that. You know, is, is it just revenue or what are the other factors for the people on the early side of that adoption curve? Yeah, great question. It's not just revenue. Definitely not. Certain academics for sure are up there, but there are also other institutions that some of them do happen to be in the tech hubs, for sure, where they just have a leadership team, which is in healthcare, you know, it, healthcare is being disrupted by lots of external entrants right now. And so there's some healthcare systems where the leadership team are basically, they're aggressively leveraging AI and tech to reinvent themselves. So yep. there's a cultural leadership factor. There's a revenue size, size issue. Factor, yeah. And then there is a uh, innovation spirit. I mean, hmm. we have some very small clients. Hmm small that are always the first to use stuff because the leadership team feels that it's a competitive requirement for the smaller guy to compete. We then have some very large academics that are always innovating, but then we also have some very large academics or private things that are very late. Huh. So academic also, is not a signal by itself in terms it, of being early. It, they're often earlier. Okay. So um, a little but, bit, but, but it's is, not a clear, it's not a clean It's signal. not a black, it's not a binary. Okay. Like if it's okay. academic, bang, they're early. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. It, all things being equal, they might be a little bit earlier in the adoption curve. But from what you're saying, revenue size and really that innovation spirit, which often is going to come from strong leadership is, is right. the critical factor here. Cool. Awesome. Well, I think that's useful information for the folks tuned in who are asking themselves, when's my hospital going to start using some of these interesting tools and when am I going to see this in my life? Peter, I know that's all we have for time. Thank you again for joining us on the show. Thank you, Dan. Really appreciate the time. Great questions. Really appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It sure would mean the world to us, helps let other people know about the show, and also it's the driving force for what we do on the podcast. The fact that we have two episodes a week, that's the idea of our listeners, not, not my idea. The fact that we talk about making the business case and use cases, kind of two separate topics, that's you, the listeners, uh, leaving replies on LinkedIn and also being able to leave reviews and let us know what you want to see more of on the actual podcast in terms of Apple podcast reviews as well. Both of those I tune into and pay attention to and both of those are really what mold the show. So if you like the show, you want to be part of its improvement or you just want to share the love and say thanks, drop us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts, easy to find the AI in business podcast. I've recently started including some of these reviews in our email newsletter. So every now and again, I'll drop one of our latest reviews and I'll say a big thank you to whoever left it. Uh, so you might see yours in a newsletter in the coming month as well if you drop us a review. So easy to find us again, AI and business podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on SoundCloud and elsewhere as well. Those always mean the world to us. Anywho, so that's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one. 